Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. You're all very, very welcome, and I believe that there will be people listening online who are also uh, very welcome to this seminar. One of the things I have to point out at the very beginning is that we're following, for those in the building, we're following the Presbyterian Church's guidelines, so we're asking you to keep your masks on during this, unless, of course, you're exempt, and at the very end, we'll have people who will show you um, in the way out as we go in rows. But it's absolutely brilliant. We're so pleased that you've come to join us this afternoon. And it's brilliant to have Phil. You know, a few months ago, well, quite a few months ago, we were sitting as a little committee and we were talking about the seminars and said, you know, we'd really love one in prayer. And that night, as I went home, I plug into sometimes, as you do online, some churches and seminars and services that are going on. And I heard Phil speak on prayer. And I was just taken by what he was saying and I thought there's our man there so contact him and thank you Phil for coming and joining us and as we, I asked him for a little bit of information on what would take what took him on this journey and I want to read it in case you haven't seen it on the web page and he said this back in 2018 I hit a new decade my 60s it's given the way his age I have always been intrigued with decades and for the last four of them sought God for what they might hold. A few things happened at that time to get me studying the big audacious prayers in the Bible where the words are not recorded. Daniel's prayer that changed the course of a nation, Elijah's prayer that changed the course of nature, Jesus' prayer in the garden that changed the course of history, all but a few words. We read nothing of what they prayed. This led me into a whole new world of prayer that I'd never known, before known in 50 years as a believer. I look forward to talking to you. I think not as much as we look forward to hearing what God is going to say to us uh, through Phil today. And I'm going to ask Phil to come up and Carol who's from Shore Street Church and leads the prayer ministry team there, is going to pray for Phil before we begin. So, Heavenly Father, we just want to tell you how thrilled we are to be here and what a privilege it is. We want to affirm that our God reigns. Yeah. And the whole earth is in his hands. And Father, these are anxious times, these are difficult times, and we want to praise you and bless you that that intimacy with you has been our precious place, our hidden place, our sustaining place. And we want to ask you in Jesus' mighty name to bless our brother Phil as he shares your word with us, bring to his mind those things, Holy Spirit, you have for us here today and give us open ears, open hearts, open eyes, that we may see the joy and the power in your word and it will sustain us in this new day that we are coming into. So Lord, bless him as only you can 
In Jesus' name, we are all agreed. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. It's lovely to be with you. And uh, I'm excited to get speaking to you in prayer because it's a sort of a, as my intro said, um, on the uh, little um, thing that I sent in, I've been on a bit of a journey for the last two to three years around prayer and um, taught actually in church. And we did 16 weeks. I did 16 weeks back to back on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer, speaking on adoration, petition, intercession, unanswered prayer. Um, contemplation, listening, and spiritual warfare. We sort of did a couple or three weeks in each of those. And so I really enjoyed that. Um, the, the journey for me began, as I said, when I turned into my 60s in 2018. One of our um, worship leaders, and just before church started on a Sunday morning, came out of the middle doors of our auditorium, and I happened just to bump into her, and she said to me, she's a Scottish girl, and she said to me in that lovely Scottish accent, she says, Phil, I think I've got a word, a prophetic word for you. And I said, okay. And she said, um, <clears throat> I think the Lord is asking you to waste time in his presence. And I was a bit taken back by that word. And I said, can you elaborate? And she says, not really. She said, Phil, I just think that um, in this next season of your life, the Lord wants you to spend so much time that those who don't know the things of God would look on it and say, that's just a waste of time. And um, that started a bit of a journey. Now, you know, as well as I do, that the Bible is full of prayers, and there's a bit of difference if you go into different theologians around it. But they reckon there's around 650 prayers in the Bible that are, and you can go into Paul's great prayers, the church at Philippi, and the church at Ephesus, and all of the great prayers. There's so many Solomon's prayers, so many great prayers that uh, if you want to, to read. I think Solomon's prayer is maybe the longest, takes about 12 minutes to read. So if anybody prays more than 12 minutes, you can say greater than Solomon's here. Um, but um, there's all of these great prayers in the Bible. But I began to get intrigued by the ones that we don't know what they prayed. And what started the journey was Exodus 17. I'm a Moses fan, have been for 40 years of my life. He's my hero in the Bible next to Jesus. I love the fact that he said, here, my God, send somebody else. And um, so I've always really loved him. And um, I began to look at his prayer in Exodus 17, where he climbed the mountain and held his hands in the air. And I began to wonder, where did the context of that begin? How did he learn to do that? What, did God tell him? Or did he just work it out himself that as when his hands were in the air, um, the Israelites were prevailing, and when his hands dropped, the Amalekites were winning? Did he figure that out? How did he figure it out? And um, what happened in the context that whenever they were going to the battlefield, he started to wander up a mountain. Did Joshua think um, Moses is losing his mind a little bit? You know, he's an old boy now. And what's he doing going up there when we're going to fight out here? Interesting, at the end of that story in Exodus 17, it tells us that um, when the battle's won and the Amalekites are wiped out, um, God speaks to Moses and says, write these things in the scroll. This is in the Bible, all right, in Exodus 17. Write these things in the scroll and make sure Joshua sees it. So I sort of wondered why that was there. Was it, did Joshua wonder what was going on and where was the battle won? We could say the battle was won in both. It was a team of intercession working on the mountain and the battle being fought in the field. 
And so I began to wonder at my generation now, was God calling me to that mountaintop experience was I and I, I fought that I didn't want that I, I don't know if God has ever given you something you don't want and um, I said God I'm not the right person for send Lorraine don't you know send somebody else don't send me I, I'm a local pastor I love visiting people and I love going to the hospitals and seeing people I do funerals I do weddings I preach and I, I, I cut some of my neighbors lawns and that's what I love to do God I'm not an intercessor and of course, you know, when God calls you into something, you, he doesn't let you off the hook that easy. And he wasn't letting me off the hook. And so I began to really um, go after this as best as I knew how. And then, as my little blurb said, I came on Elijah's prayer where he stuck his, knees between his, his head between his knees and prayed. How do you do that? And what did he pray? What were the words? Doesn't tell us what the words. What did Daniel pray? That took 21 days for heaven to break through with the answer and fight against the prince of Persia that changed the course of a nation. What was that all about? And of course, what did Jesus pray? Now we know that he said, not your will, but not my will, but yours be done. But outside that, for three hours, he went. The guy come back after an hour, they were sleeping. He went away, come back again, went away, come back again. What did he pray in those three hours? What did he say to his father that he would come to the conclusion that there would be an absolute surrender of his prayer life and an absolute surrender of himself to God? And, um, and I began to realize that these weren't nice prayers. They weren't nice prayers. They weren't easy prayers. Moses' prayer exhausted him to the point where he couldn't hold his arms up, nor could he stand up. And they'd get him a little stool and hold his arms up. He was exhausted. Daniel was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 21 days. At least he hadn't eaten very much. Elijah, like when you contort yourself to put your head between your knees, that's not a comfortable position to pray and that's travail of prayer. And of course, Jesus sweat great drops of blood. So what, did, what, what does it mean to step into this realm of prayer? Now, I know I'm talking to loads of seasoned leaders today and that's, um, that's uh, my, my ethos around that, to, to pick out intercession in our prayer life. And the reason I'm doing that is because whenever the disciples saw Jesus praying in Luke 11, they, they caught something. And they ushered this great line, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't it interesting they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to heal the sick like you do that. Lord, teach us to be compassionate the way you are. Teach us to walk in water, God. That would be pretty cool. But they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Whatever they picked up, in Jesus' prayer life was so contagious and so convicting that they thought, this is what I need. Now, there's a great story. Intercessory, intercessory prayer is a little bit like, um, if you Google this, Google's a wonderful thing. Um, if you Google, a, a, there's a container ship in 1992 was sailing from Hong Kong to America, and they had a storm, and they lost some of the containers off off the, I was in the haulage business for a year, so this happens um, still to this day. And so they lost some container ships which sank to the bottom of the sea. One of them, um, lying at the bottom of the sea, was filled with 28,000 rubber ducks. True story. And the, the, uh, the, when the water got into the container, the container actually exploded. And these rubber ducks, 28,000 of them, little yellow rubber ducks, all floated to the top. 1992, 
They reckon some of those still haven't been recovered today. They, 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 and so they, 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 they sort of started out a profound search on, on swirls of the ocean and, and where all these go. And they, they swept up in areas like Alaska. Some were actually even found in Scotland. All over Europe, all over the world, these rubber ducks have turned up. Still, as I say, some haven't been found. And they reckon they're still swirling about somewhere in the ocean. And when I read that story, I sort of thought, that's a bit like intercessory prayer. When it explodes into something, there's no telling where it can end up. There's no telling where that can end up. Now, we'll let, let, let's look a couple of minutes at what intercession is. And you, you'll know some of this. Some of this will be pretty um, 101 to you. But just a couple of things that I feel the Lord has really spoke to me over the last two or three years that I'm journeying. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not good at this. I'm not up here because I'm an expert in this. I've never met anybody yet that said they were perfectly content with their prayer life. I've never met anyone yet that said, my prayer life is top-notch, and I've never, uh, I've never been in anybody's deathbed that told me they prayed way too much. All of us, in some shape or form, struggle with our prayer lives. It's a discipline that we need to work into our lives. So what is intercession? Well, intercession can be defined as love on its knees for prayers for others. I love that. Um, or it's standing in the gap, which we're going to talk about in a moment or two, in prayers for someone who are unable to sufficiently or capable of doing it for themselves. So Afghanistan at the minute, Haiti at the minute, Myanmar at the minute. These are countries, these are talking to our team of staff yesterday and saying, Guy, we, we need to get a worldview. We need to figure out as Christian believers, when we fall to our knees, what do we need to cry out for to God at this moment? It's identifying with the sins of those you're praying for. So you might be praying for a loved one that doesn't know Jesus yet. These are important things. It is prayers offered to others as directed by the Holy Spirit. So sometimes the Holy Spirit might direct you to pray for someone you don't even know. Pray for a country that you've never been to. Sometimes, I don't know if you um, are tongue-talking people or not, but if you pray in tongues, which I think is really important, but, and I know there's controversy over that, but um, sometimes in praying for to in tongues, I find myself praying for, for things that I don't know what I'm praying for, but I, I, I maybe in the name of a country or something will slip out, and um, I think, wow, God is me interceding for a place. So these things are really important, and God is in need of intercessors. Let me just say that to you. God is in need of intercessors for those who can actually change life situations, circumstances, and people through um, fervent prayer to the glory of God. And God has given us authority. You need to know this. God has given us authority through Jesus to change circumstances, and, and he's given us authority over the works of the devil. He tells us this in Luke chapter 10. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's a pretty good mantra to bathe yourself in. Pretty good. Nothing will harm you. So to be an intercessor actually is to be like Jesus because it's an activity that we actually can identify with Jesus. This is really important, all right? This is what it tells us in Hebrews 7. Jesus lives forever. He is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, 
he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Isn't it amazing to know that Jesus is our intercessor? He's our great high priest and he's our intercessor. And there's two acts that go on continually before the throne and that's intercession and accusation. Those are the two things that go on before the throne. And the conflict of these two is the focal point of the battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. All right, Jesus is there as our intercessor, interceding for us. The enemy is our accuser. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And I was a brethren boy. I was brought up in the brethren. So don't think that just means the brethren denomination. Um, I think maybe I was taught that when I was a boy, but there you go. Um, the enemy is known as the accuser of the brethren, and his main purpose is the spiritual realm. His main purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. I'm a dad of five, I have five kids, I have nine grandkids, and um, I would tell my kids when they were growing up, I used to say, kids, the the devil doesn't want to scrape you. He's not looking to to, to just scrape your skin. He's looking to kill you. My wife used to say, well, that's an awful thing to tell your kids, but it's the truth. The devil wants to kill and to destroy. But the Bible says in John 10, 10, where that verse comes from, that Jesus comes that we might have life. So the, the opposite side of the coin is that we might have life and we might have life that's abundant or life that's full, that, that's, that's something so special that we can have. Now, um, I, I, uh, I love this fact that, you know, sometimes we can say, well, who do we intercede for? Well, the Bible actually tells us who to intercede for. We can intercede for, it says, urge you first of all um, to make petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. So our call as believers is to pray for all people, for kings and those in authority. Man, dear, our government needs it at the minute. The governments of the world haven't a baldy clue what to do next. Um, and we all know that they don't know what to do. And, um, and we need to pray for those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about this because it will help us see how to do it. Sometimes preachers can tell you what you should do and you can go away feeling guilty because you're maybe not doing it enough. But what I felt the Lord really speak to me over the last number of years and trying to put this into practice on a daily basis and trying to do what Daniel done, pray three times a day, so pray morning, um, midday, and sort of um, evening time. And I've tried to do three different types of prayer, and that's what has helped me. And I think that Daniel, maybe you need to find what works for you. I think Daniel found what worked for him. He might have tried four times and realized he couldn't maintain that. He might have tried twice and thought, well, I could do a bit more. And eventually he settled on three times and decided that was what he had capacity for and that's what he could do. Now, intercession, intercession means praying for someone besides you. And this is why it's so important. And reading the context of what Lorraine sent me about what's been going on with the 85 years of prayer life here is pretty incredible with the missionary convention. I think that's pretty incredible. And, 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 and so the idea of understanding about praying for the world, because all of us are good at coming to God with our little shopping list. 
And we can come with our, God bless me and mine, and God bless blah, blah, blah. And it's important to pray for you. I pray for my kids and my grandkids every day by name, and it's important to do that and the needs that are around. And there's a time, I have a time of day to do that. But there's a time of day when I pray that that's not for me. It's a, and, and, and oftentimes I wait in God and allow God to show me what he would like me to intercede for during that half hour or hour or whatever time I have. Now there's, there's three important concepts about this that really are important that I want to talk to you about because um, if we want to talk about how we intercede, then we've got to think about this. And three words that, that work for me. I hope they're not too wordy, but these are three words that really helped me understand what intercession was. And there were these three words. The first word was intervention. We know what it means to intervene. When you intervene in something, intervention means to step into uh, uh, a situation with a divine purpose in view and by doing this we put the powers of darkness under our feet so when we decide that we're going to intervene for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and we're going to pray for the church in Afghanistan then what we do is we put the powers of darkness under our feet and we say we are going to stand in the gap and pray for our brothers and sisters in the church in Afghanistan the second one is the word intersection and um, we would use the word junction just as the brethren preacher and me wouldn't allow it to start with a different letter. So I had to go for um, intersection. Sorry about that. Um, but we would know it as a junction. All right. An intersection is a place where two roads meet. And through prayer, we bring the power of God to bear on a situation. So what you do, you step into a situation and you start to make a road. You start to make a, a junction where two things meet. Now, this is really important that you grasp this. And then the last one um, is an interception where it means you pray it right through. You, you pray till, it, till, till you break through. You pray till it means to stop. Um, we had a girl in our church recently who um, had severe um, pains down in the bottom of her tummy. They did a scan, couldn't find anything. And of course, um, she began to get really, really worried. Um, the, there was a cancer scare and all the worry went out. And so I, I felt the Lord say to me, I felt the Lord say, Phil, I want you to intercede for her. So I started to intercede for her and I was out walking at night and um, I often walk when I intercede. And when I was walking along, the Lord spoke to me and the Lord said, Phil, it's a stone in her kidney. It was as clear as that. I heard it in my, didn't hear it audibly, but I heard it in my spirit. It's a stone in her kidney as clear as that. And um, I went on to pray and I felt the Lord say, don't pray for her anymore. You don't, now you've, there's interception. You've, you've done what you needed to do. And so I came home, it was late at night. I rang up and I didn't, didn't just want to be the doctor and say, you, this is what, what, what's going on. But I said, look, I, I want to just quench the fear in your heart. And I want to quench the fear in your spirit. I feel that the Lord has shown me that that's not a serious thing and it'll be sorted out. And so a week later, she got a full scan and um, the full scan up, showed absolutely nothing. And the doctor said this to her, it looks like it was a stone in your kidney and it's just got cleared. So you, it's, it's, it's listening to God and, listen, when you, and listening to God when to pray and when to stop praying. So these are really important. Now, it's really important to note that the act of intercession is bringing two parties together. This is what we do when we pray. This is why intercession is different from all other types of prayer because it's an action. 
This is not just sitting on your seat and praying a simple little prayer, Lord bless me and bless mine. This is action. There's work involved in this. And this is why I felt I had a different thing that I was going to speak on and I sent Lorraine the, the notes and sent Johnny the, the, the notes at the back. And then I woke this morning and I felt the Lord saying, oh, this is what I want you to speak about today. And I felt, okay, God, I'm your servant, so I do. Johnny might be cross with me, but he wasn't. Um, but I'll do whatever you say. And intercession is important. And this is why Jesus lives to intercede for us by his death and his resurrection. He brought us together with God. He built a road. He built, a, he built an intersection that brought us to God. This is the most incredible thing. He became our mediator. Our mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Now the word, many of you will know this. If you're intercessors, you'll know that the word for um, Intercession is the word, we call it the word paga, it's pronounced paga. If you look up, I give you the Strong's number there that if you want to look it up, you can. And this is what Strong says about it. It says a primitive route to impinge by accident or violence or by importunity to come between, to cause, to entreat, to fall upon, to make intercession, to entreat, to lay, to light upon, to meet together, to pray, to reach or run. I read that in the air of breath. Whenever I read that, um, I thought, holy smokes, this is, this is incredible stuff. And when you read Strong's, it's mentioned 46 times in the Old Testament, this word paga, or paga, whatever way you want to pronounce it. And out of those 46 times, out of those 46 times, it will appear mostly as meeting together of something or someone. Actually, 44 out of the 46 times, it's a coming together of two people or two things. Pretty incredible. I'll show you a couple of examples. Here's one. Um, when Job's three friends, Elipaz, um, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that they had come upon him, that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together. See if that underlined? By agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort with him. Those three words I've inter- underlined is the Hebrew word paga. That's where we get our word intercession from. They met together. Something come together. There was three friends came together. All right? Now, um, here's another illustration. Um, the territory of Manasseh in Joshua 17, verse 10, says it reached to the Mediterranean Sea and bordered Asher on the north and Isaacer on the east. That word again, that little word reached to, is the word paga. So reached to and meeting together is the word paga in the Old Testament. And 44 times of the 46 mentions in the Old Testament, this is what it says, reached to or met together. And the only other two times that Pega is mentioned in the, as intercessor in the Old Testament, both refer to Christ himself. I'll show you the two of them. Um, this is the first one, Isaiah 59. He saw that there was no man and wondered, was there no intercessor? Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. And the other one 
um, which makes up the 46, is Isaiah 53, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, made intercession for the transgressors. That's the word pagan. That's only two times in the Old Testament it actually is referred to as the word intercessor. The other ones are all reached to and met together. Now, hope this is everybody okay with us so far. It, when you grab this, and I'll show you a little practical illustration of it now in a moment or two. When you grab this, it makes, to me it made, it started to make sense. <laughs> intercession started to make sense. Because I always thought that intercession was just praying for Joe and praying for Joan and praying for Billy. And, 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 and when I saw the power of intercession and saw the power that we actually, that God gives us in it, it actually started to really excite me. And actually then I began to say, instead of saying, God, I can't do this, I began to say, you know, God, I think I could do this if I could just discipline myself. And I'm still in the process of that. Now, Romans 8 puts it like this. Romans 8 says, likewise, I've underlined some words that I want to point out, and I'll come back to that word helps in a minute. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows that the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. My mum used to say, son, if you can't pray, groan. If you can't pray, groan. When my wife died in 06, um, I remember her saying to me, son, you don't, I said, mum, I don't even know what to pray. And she says to me, son, you don't need to pray. Just groan. Because the Spirit will take of the groanings of your heart and present them to the Father. That makes sense. Not beautiful. That God can make sense of our groans. He can. That's why our tears are important. Um, and so Jesus intercedes. We've saw that. Now it shows us that the Spirit intercedes. So not only do we have Jesus interceding for us, but we have the Spirit interceding for us. And this word helps that I've underlined there in the Greek means when two parties come together to bear a burden. That's what that word helps means. When two people, when two parties come together to bear a burden and a simple but profoundly theological description of prayer is the transference of a burden. That's what prayer is. It's the transference of a burden. All right, the apostle Peter would put it this way. He said, casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. So if you go into the prayer closet and come out with a burden, you haven't been praying, you've only been complaining. If you go into the prayer closet and you come out with a burden, you haven't been praying, you've only been complaining. And so it's important that we understand this. So, so how do we do it? How do we do it? If Paul told Timothy to pray and intercede, and it's interesting what Paul said to him when he's given him his advice, he said, first of all, First of all, the first thing I need to tell you, Timothy, is that you intercede for all people. And um, then he was telling us again, as I said, that Jesus interceded and the Spirit intercedes. Now, you can build a bridge between heaven and the person or thing you're praying for. First, and this is what I want to try and illustrate. First, what you do is you take hold of God. Remember how Jesus um, told his disciples in Luke 11, when you pray... Pray this way, our Father. That's the first thing you need to do. You need to understand that. And I love how Jesus said, our Father, not my Father. 
He's not saying to the disciples, you can pray to my father. He's saying, when you pray, pray our father. The first thing you need to do when you get into the prayer closet is grab hold of God. Understand whose business you're in. You're in the business of the father and he is our father. And so um, this, is, this, is, this is the most beautiful thing. And so four little points about that is just when, whenever you come in to pray, just get informed, get the facts. What are you going to pray for? What are you going to intercede for? Get the facts. Get inspired. What is God saying to you about this? Is he, is he disrupting your sleep in the night? Is he rising you early in the morning? Is there something even you, you're struggling to eat because something's annoying you? Get inspired. What's God saying? And then get indignant. Allow it to break your heart. Allow it to, allow it to break your heart. Allow your heart to break for what breaks God's heart. You can't tell me that God's not watching Haiti at the moment and Myanmar at the moment and even our own little island at the moment. He's not watching Afghanistan at the moment and not breaking his heart at the sinfulness of the world. Knowing that whenever sin entered the world through Adam, it plunged into a depth of hell that would take his son to pay the price to redeem us from. And one day that's going to come together fully as we well know and it's going to be consummated. And then get in sync. Start to engage more people and the more the merrier. Iron sharpens iron. And I know I pray better with other people. I struggle the, the discipline of praying in your own is hard. But when you get with other people and I don't know what, if, if you've ever experienced this and someone prays and then someone else prays and then, then, then maybe a third or a fourth person prays and it just feels like they pull the lid off a well. Has that ever happened in your prayer meeting? And it just feels, wow, something just happened there and you jump in on it and then people, and it just, that's iron sharpening iron and that's the power of prayer. Now, here's what happens. So what you're doing in intercession, you're, you're grabbing God, as it were, with one hand, and you're saying, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are my Father. I thank you are the God of heaven and that you love us all. And so, God, and I am lifting my, my friend, Joe, and he doesn't know you, and he's away from you, and, and God, I'm lifting to you. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're intervening. You've got God in one hand. You've got Joe in the other hand. You're intervening in prayer. And what you're doing is you're trying to build an intersection. And you're trying to pull these two together. And that's the power of intercession. And as you begin to pull those things together, you begin to make a road. Isn't that pretty incredible? Where two things meet. They reach to. Remember the words, the Pega word? They reach to. They met together. That's the power of it. My wife died in 06. I had four kids at that stage, and um, there were two married and two not married. And my two older kids really went hard after God. My two younger kids said they would never follow God again um, because uh, they'd watched their mom and dad for 27 years serve God and do all the things. And then, if that's how God deals the hand out, they didn't really want to follow Him. My daughter. Um, uh, didn't come back to church for a long, long time and um, got married and uh, she couldn't have kids. Her and her husband were, went through all the treatments and eventually they were told they just couldn't have kids. And uh, they said, look, you know, you're not even suitable for IVF. What you need to do is just go and enjoy your life. Come back in a few years and we'll talk about adoption. Um, 
We were walking in the park, even though they weren't walking with God, we were great friends. And my mum used to say, they're not old yet, son. You train a child up in the way they'll go. And when they're old, my mum used to say, they're not old yet. They'll come back all right. And um, we were walking in the park one morning and she was weeping and telling me about the whole thing that she'd just been with some specialist a couple of days before. And I said to her, we're running healing rooms on Saturday morning. Why don't you come down and let us pray for you? She says, Dad, you'd do anything to get me back into that church. And I said, you're right, I would. And, um, and so I was at healing rooms and Saturday morning and I was up at the front and I think I was leading and I spied her coming in and near fainted honestly I was like and I actually started to well up I started to get emotional I was like come on Phil pull yourself together and um, and she came up and a couple of our elders prayed for her and one of our lady elders Maureen who's been with us a long time um, prayed for her and started to really prophesy over her long story short um, within two months she was pregnant and had a little boy, and just two months after the boy was born, she got pregnant again, had a little girl. And, um, and what happened was, we, we intervened, you see. We intervened and we built a road, <laughs> and God and her met. She now heads up some of our compassion ministry, because God, God has these things in hand, and God uses us as people who could come and, and build that road. Now, over 20 years ago, I was at a, a, a church. I was in Florida in holidays, and um, I went to Clark Whitten's church. And I'll never forget this story he told. He told a story of a lady in his church who was an intercessor, and her husband wasn't a believer. And she had prayed for him for 42 years. Now, he wasn't anti-God. He was very supportive of her and her life in church. He just never had accepted Jesus Christ as his saviour and, um, and uh, very accepting of her faith. They had a good marriage, but just never had got saved. And on a business trip, he was killed in a car accident. And, um, and about a month after the funeral, this lady received a phone call to her home and the man at the other end of the line asked to speak to her husband. And she said, the lady said, oh, I'm really, I'm sorry, my, you didn't know, but my husband died in a car accident over a month ago. And the man on the other end of the phone went really quiet. And he asked when this happened. And the lady told him the exact date. And he um, asked her that, had she talked to him on the day of his death and she said that when he was in business trips he would always phone her in the morning and then late at night and he said she had, he had phoned her that morning she'd spoke to him that morning but then when she didn't get the call that night then eventually she got the call from the authorities to say that he'd been killed and so she says the last time I spoke to him was the morning before he, the morning that he died and the man proceeded, proceeded to tell her this story he said ma'am I'm a, I'm a businessman." I go to work in a suit and a tie, and I'm a believer. And said, the morning your husband, that you're telling me your husband was killed, said, the Lord spoke to me so powerfully that I just couldn't shake it off. And he told me to do something that I'd never done before. And he told me that instead of getting into my car and driving to work, I had to go out and hitchhike. <laughs> I had to thumb a lift downtown into work. 
And he said, I fought with God. And I said, God, I'm not doing that. I've never done that in my life. And he said, it was so strong. He said, I, I, it wouldn't go. So he said, I went out in my suit, my shirt and tie, my briefcase. He said, I stuck my thumb out. And he said, immediately I stuck my thumb out. He said, a car pulled over. And he said, it was your husband. And he said, we had an hour's drive down into the city. And she said, I led your husband to Jesus. Not pretty incredible, isn't it? Said, I led your husband to Jesus on the day of his death. And that's why. And he said, he couldn't wait to call you that night. He said, my wife will be so overjoyed. Now, that woman had intervened, right? She had created an intersection. We, we think 42 years is a long time, you see. But time, time doesn't matter to God. I will say, God, who made time, made plenty of it. And so while we think 42 years is a long time, that woman intervened in her husband's life. She created an intersection. She created a road where her husband and Jesus would meet. That's intercession. And that's the power of intercession. And, um, and we can do this because Jesus did it. Jesus did it for us. And I love their stories like, like Moses in Exodus 32. Let me read you a little bit about that and then I'll throw a little bit on the screen. And some of you will know the story. I'm sure most of you know the story of, of how Moses up the mountain for 40 days. The children of Israel think he's gone. He's not coming back. They make the golden calf. God stirs him and said, Moses, you better get down there or I'm going to wipe them out. And this is what he says. Um, the Lord said to Moses, go down because you're a people whom you brought up. This is God speaking to Moses. Up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and have said, these are your gods, Israel, whom you brought out up out of Egypt. He says, I've seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone. This is God speaking to Moses. Now leave me alone. Do you think God knew that Moses was going to intercede? Now leave me alone so that I may ang my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then he says, I will make you into a great nation. I love this. And then here's what happens. It says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people? <laughs> Remember God had told Moses they were his people. Now Moses is reminding them that they're not my people. God, they're your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with a great and mighty hand, why should the Egyptians say it was the evil intent um, uh, that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? And then he says this, Remember your servant Abram, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give your descendants all the land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented. And did not bring his people the disaster he threatened. Moses intervened, you see. He built an intersection for the people and the disaster was intercepted. That's what we do when we intercede. I have a son who's 33. He's not following after the Lord. Now he loves the Lord. Just not following hard after him. Never really in the last 15 years has ever got over his, losing his mom. But he's coming back to the Lord because I've been intervening for 15 years <laughs> and I've built an intersection. <laughs> and one of these days, one of these days, it's 
going to happen. I know it's going to happen because this is the Bible. This is the Bible. I finish with a story and then we'll, if there's any questions, we can take a few minutes at that. I'm not dead sure of all the answers. I'm just telling you some of the experiences that I've had and tried to give you some of the scriptural truths of this that are really, really important, just to show you the power that we have at hand. But there's a story told of a, um, after World War I and that uh, America sent funding to some orphanages in Europe. And one of these orphanages, uh, a very frail, gentle man walked in with a very thin little girl. And he was looking to leave her. This is a true story, by the way. He was looking to leave her, but when asked if he was the parent, he replied he was, but had been in prison camps and was too ill and poor to look after her. They were very apologetic, but said that that was their policy. They couldn't take the child who had a parent. And the man said this, you're telling me if I was dead, then you could take my little girl and you could give her food and clothes and shelter. That's right, the employee of the home said, I could do that. And um, the man lifted his little girl, he hugged her and he kissed her. And then he took the hand of the little girl and he placed it in the hand of the employee and said, I will sort that. And he went out and took his own life. It's a true story. Now I tell you that shocking true story to remind you that in eternity past, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had a discussion about you and me. And I imagine Jesus asking the question to his Father, are you telling me there's no hope for these people unless I die for them? That's right, was the answer. So Jesus took your hand and my hand and he took the Father's hand and he placed our hands into his hand and he walked out of heaven and he came to earth and he hung on a cross to redeem us back to God. He became our bridge. He built a road. He built a, an intersection where us and God could collide. And so by default then, God has given us the responsibility as believers to pray for Afghanistan, to pray for Haiti, to pray for Myanmar, to pray for Boris Johnson, whatever you feel about him, to pray for Biden, whatever you think about him, to pray for Putin, whatever you think about him. But actually, because when we intercede, we become like Jesus. We become bridge builders. And that's our job. And when we pray prayers like, Father, let your kingdom come. And we can pray it so lovely. Let your kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven. I have a little phrase. The guys in our church make fun of it. But I have a little phrase that I say, when I pray, God, let your kingdom come and be on earth as it is in heaven. I grab the lapels of heaven and I pull it to earth. And that's the only way it's going to happen. The only way it's going to happen, the only way that heaven can come to earth is if a bunch of intercessors take this serious and take heaven by the lapels and say, God, I am not giving up. I am not giving up on my son. I am not giving up on my son. I am going to pray and intervene and build that intersection till the point comes where he can tell me like he told me the girl about the girl with the stone. The kid. Don't need to pray anymore, Phil. Your son's sorted. Hasn't told me yet, but he will. He will. 
So the Lord bless you. I, I, I've, I've nothing more to, well, I could, I'm a preacher, so I could rattle on for another hour, but um, I understand um, attention levels and all of that. And so um, if there's any questions or anything, I can point you. I'm not an expert in this. I'm just learning along with you. And these are just things that God has been stirring my heart with and sharing. Um, I wish I could tell you that um, the, the journey has been great and I've disciplined myself and I never fail, but I do. Um, but the beauty is that God forgives me. <laughs> and he's the God of the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth chance. And that's what we love about God. So Lorraine, I don't know if you want to jump in there. Any questions? Anybody, any questions? or? There we go. There's somebody at the back there. Lorraine's going to give you the mic there, so I'm, I have two hearing aids in, so... You mentioned they wouldn't take the little girl without a parent. Was there a reason for them making a rule like that? Can you explain, please? Was there a reason what, sir? Was there a reason why they stipulated the parent had to come with the child? Okay, I think the whole reason was just the fact of, of intercession. I'm trying to just prove the point around intercession. And the reason the parent came with a little child was he was just looking a home for the, for the child. It's a great story. Um, I picked it up in a, in a World War I manual. I'm a bit of a history buff. And so I love history. I love, um, and I, I, have, I have a list of old books where I get all these stories from, but it was just the fact that um, he was trying to get his kid minded and they wouldn't take the child because um, there was a parent alive. Any other story, any other questions? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Don't all jump at once now. Waiting. Yeah, well, waiting's a, waiting's a, a struggle, isn't it? It's, um, and we're not good at waiting. We're not good at, at waiting, but um, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I love that little verse in Isaiah 40, it's the last verse of Isaiah 40 and it says there to wait on the Lord will renew their strength and they'll rise up with wings as eagles run and not be weary and walk and not faint and so there is something about waiting on the Lord and I found that especially you know in corporate settings you know corporate prayer settings where we have um, rather than went by a clock schedule. And I know that we, we all have lives that, and families and things like that. But what we try to do every now and again is put a night into the schedule where we come together corporately that we don't look at the clock, you know. And we've done like, we've done like full nights of prayer. So we've started literally from about seven and went through to seven in the morning. Or done, we do a lot of half nights, like seven to 11 or seven to midnight. And you find sometimes in those places like it's, 
It's like the 11th hour, isn't it? You know, like it's a bit like fasting, isn't it? Like if, if you've ever done a three-day fast, I always say God doesn't talk to you about the last hour of the third day. Like it's not fair. <laughs> or, you know, uh, I have a friend who recently did 21 days and he said like the last three days, it was just like, he said the last three days, it was like the Lord just started to download to him the last three days. But they said all of the, you know, 18, 19 days before that, there was really just hungry. <laughs> So, so it, it, it's, isn't it, it's, it, somebody said it's desire, discipline, and delight. <laughs> you know, this, this sort of almost the, 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 the way it goes. There's got to be the desire to do it. And then when there's a desire to do it, you've got to discipline yourself to do it. And then out of the, the desire and the discipline comes the delight. Something starts to blossom out of that. But the... And again, I say, as I started, you know, none of us, I don't think there's any of us in here, anybody I've met yet that puts himself up as a prayer expert, you know, it says, I've, I've got it, I've got it mastered, you know, we're all, um, it's all something in all of our psyches that we work at all the time. I think for, for me, just around the waiting is what I found is, you know, so in the mornings, I, I pray for my family. In the mornings, I pray, you know, just personal prayers in the morning. And then I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a bit of a list person, so I have a prayer diary, and so I pray for certain things in certain days. So my midsection of the day, I, I, I take time out. I try to set aside at least 30 minutes in the middle of the day if I can, sort of 12, 12.30, 12.30 to 1, whatever, um, and, and pray for whatever's in my section for that day. So if it's elders, if it's our staff, if it's, you know, um, church, um, the, the church network that we're involved in or stuff like that. And then at night, I, I, you know, I, I, I sort of depending on God to speak to me about what he really wants me to pray for at night. Um, and I, I'd like to take that time just to do whatever I feel the burden of my heart to do. And sometimes that can be, sometimes I've found that doubled up a little bit. So you might have prayed for something at lunchtime that you've just, you know, it's a bit like you've, you've oh, maybe haven't actually prayed that right through yet. You know, so praying for and praying through are different things. So praying for something is me placing my hands in this podium and praying for the podium. Praying it through is taking it and carrying it with you. So, you know, you, you, you carry the burden of prayer. Not just, you're not just placing hands on it, praying for it and walking away. You're actually taking it with you and you're saying, I'm going to pray this through, you know. So as a pastor, so for instance, sometimes a, a couple who are struggling in their marriage, you know, you just feel a real burden for and you feel, you know what, sometimes you, sometimes you feel they can't be fixed. And that's not up to me, but um, sometimes you know they can, and so you feel they just don't see it, but I see it. I they love each other. I just they just can't live with each other at the minute, but they actually you know they love each other, and you just think I'm going to carry this for a while. I'm going to pray, and again, center session is praying and making the the rules. That makes sense. Yeah. Why would you find that? Why do you? Praying for myself is very hard. I think it's because I nearly feel a bit selfish, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Or 
or else that maybe I've prayed for myself before about things and it hasn't happened the way I want it to happen and then I think, well, there's no point in wasting this time. <laughs> do yeah, you know what I mean? I do, of course. Yeah. I, I preached recently and um, I preached on a, a little series called What Do You Do With a Disobedient God? And I was having a bit of fun with that, you know, but um, what do you do with a disobedient God? What do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do? And, you know, we've all lived long enough, I'm sure. I say if I were to write my book, there's chapters I would leave out, <laughs> you know, but they're in my life story. They're there. And I've had to, like all of us, probably learned how to walk with a limp a little bit. But, um, you know, the way the Bible says, the, the Bible says, um, you know, to love your neighbor as yourself. So there's got to be, that's not egotistic, I'm, but you've got to, there's got to, there's got to be something that you see in yourself. Because I, if you look in yourself through the world's eyes, you can think that, but when you start to look at yourself through God's eyes, you see yourself as a son, as a daughter, and you're a daughter of the Most High God, you know, so, um, and it's only when you, it's only when you, would you, when anybody in here that's doing, that is a counsellor in any shape or form, counsellors will know this, that when you do your counselling course, that like I did level one, level two, and then it killed me, you know, because you began to see all the stuff in yourself, that, you know, you begin to realise you can't help other people until you deal with your own issues, and, 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 and when I went to do my counselling course, I thought I didn't have any issues. And then when I did them, I realised that hundreds of issues, you know, <laughs> and you begin to realise that, oh, Oh, you know, and so what we do in a, you know, in, in our in our discipleship stuff, what we do, we have three modules. So when someone gets saved, we do we do three modules of grow. So we have a grow down, which is a three month module, and in grow down we teach them what they've just got into. What's your roots? What have you just established? But then we do what's called grow up, a module which is a three month module, and that's who they are. It's now your identity in God. So this is what you've got into. But this is who you are. You're a son and a daughter now of the king. And then the third modules grow out. So now that you know what you've got into, now that you know who you are, let's spread it. Let's tell everyone else. Does that help? Anyone else? I hope you're blessed. I hope, you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, I had an old mentor used to say to me, Phil, don't write down a thing I say, I write down what I make you think. And, um, you know, so I, I, I've, I've tried to preach like that over the years to make people think, to make you think more than just, you know, um, write down everything someone says, but actually I never thought of it that way before. Or I, you know, is that really right? You know, let's go home and, and read that up and see, you know, is, is, is that really, is that what that means? So, all right. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.